the Whitehall Glens Falls. It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Friday, January 5th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. A group in Lake Placid wants to form a housing co-op. One of their board members says they need more people involved. The board now is comprised of six people. And that is not enough to make this project a reality. As Governor Kathy Hochul prepares for her 2024 State of the State speech on Tuesday, she's still dealing with fallout from some of her vetoes of bills approved last year. We have to look at bills that sound good on the face, and they always have a great title. But that does not mean that in its implementation that it is right for New York. The hospital in Carthage in Lewis County will be taking on the management of some outpatient and acute care clinics in St. Lawrence County. The only thing that's changing uh, is we'll get some new signs up, and then the billing will have a Carthage logo on it instead of a Claxton logo. We'll listen to a preview of a new investigative podcast from NCPR called If All Else Fails. And John Warren checks the trail conditions in the Adirondacks this weekend. All of that and more is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by the Depot Theater in Westport, inviting all to take a journey without leaving the station. Learn more at depotheater.org. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. New York State and the North Country face a housing crisis. All sorts of solutions are being put forward. Change the zoning laws, build more affordable housing units. One group in Lake Placid wants to form a housing co-op. A housing co-op is a legal entity where individuals have equal shares of ownership in the co-op. That's the group's vice president, Martha Pritchard Spears. She says co-ops can come in all shapes, uh, in all shapes, like a large apartment building or a farm with lots of different structures. The Lake Placid Co-op is a project of the Adirondack North Country Association and the Cooperative Development Institute. Spears says a donor gave more than 100 acres of undeveloped land in Lake Placid for the purpose of creating housing. This is very unusual and very generous and positions our co-op in a very strong position um, that other co-ops don't already own the land, but we have control of that land. Spear told Champlain Valley reporter Kara Chapman that there's a lot of fundraising to do before the co-op comes to fruition. The group estimates that it'll be three years before they get shovels in the ground. The land's completely undeveloped and they don't know yet what they want to build. Are we going to build townhouses and Stick-built houses? Are we going to do all stick-built? Are we going to do... What are we going to do? We don't know yet. But you do have a meeting coming up. We do. We have a very important to us informational meeting on January 7th, which is a Sunday, in the late afternoon at the Lake Placid Beach House. The purpose of that is to find new people who want to get engaged with the project. Initially, when it started about a year and a half ago, there were... I'm going to guess 50 people on the list who were engaged and interested. But over time, as the commitment 
has become clear. People have dropped off or it's not for them or they've moved away. The board now is comp comprised of six people. And that is not enough to make this project a reality. So on January 7th, we're opening it up to bring in a fresh group if possible. We'll have another meeting like that in the spring to bring in even more people. I'm wondering, Martha, you know, why did you and the other board members decide to try and pursue this model? What's been, you know, your experience with trying to find housing in the Adirondacks? Well, um, recently, my long marriage changed and we are no longer living together. And I had to find a place on short notice that I could afford. And it was really, really discouraging. I ended up finding a place that was not advertised that was owned by a friend. So I was really lucky. But many, many people are not so lucky and are struggling in substandard housing or couch surfing, or they just can't live here and they live in Malone and have to commute. The reason I got engaged was because with my personal situation, this is my one chance to own in Lake Placid. I know I won't be able to do it otherwise. And I'm raising my son here with my husband. Um, we're co-parenting. He's 16 now. My son, not my husband. <laughs> and I want to be able to leave him something of value. And this is a way to do that. I feel like you're speaking to something that's so like, basic and innate, but so hard. Yeah. It's kind of stunning to me to be as old as I am and in the position I'm in, in terms of, you know, unlike my parents, I don't own my home. And... um it's just a real different world than it was 40 or 30 or 50 years ago. Can you talk a bit about how how you see and how, how maybe the board sees, you know, this housing co-op as part of the broader strategy to deal with the North Country's housing crisis and to provide kind of like what you're looking for, like something for the North Country's residents to leave behind for future generations? Like how how is this part of that puzzle? We're keenly aware of the overall picture and the more journalism that's done, it's showing us where we kind of fit into the big picture. We're struggling with the idea of affordability and attainability. We're really cautious about the word affordable because it's so subjective and it has to be defined. And for the purposes of our co-op, it really has to be defined because if we're going to say we're affordable, to whom then? To a person who's receiving public assistance? Do we really want to be that broad of a community. I personally think that that's a wonderful opportunity for us to make housing available to people who are at the lowest end of the financial spectrum. That was Martha Pritchard Spears speaking with Champlain Valley reporter Kara Chapman. Lake Placid Housing Co-op's future owner residents will host an informational meeting at 3.30 Sunday afternoon at the Lake Placid Beach House. Jefferson County legislators voted on Tuesday to settle a class action lawsuit brought by the New York Civil Liberties Union. According to the Watertown Daily Times, the lawsuit alleges that the county jail failed to give treatment to inmates suffering from opioid withdrawal symptoms. The county will have to pay the NYCLU more than $350,000. The settlement has to be approved by a judge before the money can be paid. 
St. Lawrence County has a new sheriff. Rick Engel was sworn in at the county courthouse on Tuesday night, according to the Watertown Daily Times. Engel has served as a sheriff's detective since 2017. Before that, he was a road patrol deputy for about 15 years. He's also a former Marine. Engel defeated then under Sheriff Sean O'Brien in a Republican primary last summer. According to Engel's campaign Facebook page, his priorities include protecting gun ownership rights, increasing the availability of school resource officers, and improving communication between the sheriff's office and local communities. A new undersheriff, Sean McArger, was also sworn in Tuesday night. A bankruptcy judge has been appointed to mediate the many lawsuits against the Catholic Diocese of Ogdensburg. 124 lawsuits were filed against the diocese under the Child Victims Act. They allege incidents of child sexual abuse from the 1940s to the 1990s. The lawyer for the diocese told the Watertown Daily Times that the church had tried to solve, tried to resolve the claims one at a time, but the sheer number led the diocese to file for bankruptcy last July. Mediation between the Child Victims Act claimants and the diocese is set to begin next month. The hospital in Carthage in Lewis County will be taking on the management of some outpatient and acute care clinics in St. Lawrence County. The move will help its partner hospital in Ogdensburg get financially stable. Catherine Wheeler reports patients will still be able to see the same doctors. Outpatient and acute care services for patients of Claxton Hepburn Medical Center aren't going anywhere. Patients will still go to appointments in places like Ogdensburg, Hammond, and Waddington and get the same level of care. Claxton Hepburn Chief Operating Officer Brandon Bowline says these management changes are behind the scenes. The only thing that's changing uh, is we'll get some new signs up and then the billing will have a Carthage logo on it instead of a Claxton logo. Bowline says this is the first phase of a plan that looks to ensure Claxton stays open. The hospital has between 30 and $50 million of debt. So to survive, Claxton Hepburn is in the process of becoming a critical access hospital. That's a federal designation so hospitals can get better reimbursements and other benefits. A few hospitals in the North Country have the designation, including Alice Hyde Medical Center in Malone, which was approved late last year. It just doesn't make sense uh, for us to continue to operate in the current model that we're in understanding that there's a better model out there and that's critical access. Bowline says they're hoping to get state and federal approval in the next few months. He says Claxton Hepburn will then update its behavioral health services so it becomes a standalone facility in Ogdensburg. It has 40 beds, 28 for adults and 12 for children and adolescents. According to the hospital, that would make it the only place children and adolescents can get acute inpatient mental health care in the North Country. Bowline says this is all to make sure the hospital can still serve patients. He says the goals are to make sure people can get their health care locally, continue to provide jobs, and honor the employee's pension plan. We have to change because health care is changing, and this just makes sense for Claxton to position itself as a critical access hospital if that's how it's already performing. And there's no degradation, there's no change in the scope of services, there's no limit to the number or the types of services we can provide. Bowline says they're planning some community events for people to ask questions and get more answers about what these changes mean for their health care. Catherine Wheeler, North Country Public Radio.
You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 8-12. Good morning, I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up in just a few minutes, John Warren checks the trail conditions for us in the Adirondacks this weekend. That's in just a couple of minutes right here on Northern Light. Music by Patricia Julian and friends out of Burlington. Northern Light is supported by Adirondack Foundation, making grants to nonprofits that address community issues of childcare, attainable housing, career pathways, basic needs, and more. Adirondackfoundation.org and by the Osceola River Association, protecting wild brook trout, cold water streams on which they depend. Learn more at awsableriver.org. Governor Kathy Hochul may still be dealing with some issues from last year in the lead-up to her 2024 state of the state address. The governor vetoed a number of bills in the waning days of 2023, which has led to some lingering disappointment among some lawmakers. Karen DeWitt reports. Hochul vetoed several measures that leading state lawmakers championed, including a ban on non-compete agreements. The governor tried unsuccessfully to modify that measure so that it would only apply to lower-level jobs but still be preserved for top executives in large corporations or top Wall Street brokers. She also vetoed a bill known as the Grieving Families Act. It aimed to make it easier for families to seek damages for grief and anguish if their loved one died because of a health care or other facilities negligence. And perhaps more importantly for lawmakers up for re-election in 2024, Hochul vetoed a measure that would have changed public campaign finance laws to expand matching funds for large-scale donations. When advocates and some lawmakers complained, the governor's director of communications called some of the bills extreme proposals that wouldn't be appropriate for the state. Hochul says in her defense, the legislature passed over 900 bills in 2023 and 500 of them were during the final week of session. And then at that point, there's no opportunity for negotiation or conversation or understanding the impact that it might have on an agency that now has to staff up 50 more people to accomplish this and you didn't budget any money. That's usually what happens. She points out that she did end up signing some of the more controversial bills, including the Birds and the Bees Act. That law now bans an agricultural pesticide linked to honeybee die-off. Hochul says it's up to her and her staff to decide whether a measure actually lives up to its catchy name. It's just one example of where we have to look at bills that sound good on the face and they always have a great title, always have a great title. But that does not mean that in its implementation that it is right for New York. Democrats hold a supermajority in both houses of the legislature. That means they have the power to pass the bills again and then override any potential vetoes by Hochul, enabling the measures to become law. Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty, speaking on Spectrum News' Capitol Tonight show, says lawmakers, though, are not yet ready to go that route. The legislature, you know, should take that same type of care uh, in doing, uh, uh, you know, overrides. Uh, it's like, you know, those are always like nuclear options and, you know, you would hope never to have to get to that point. 
The governor says she hopes this year to begin collaborating earlier with senators and assembly members on controversial issues to avoid vetoes altogether. Let's start the budget earlier. Let's start the bills earlier. Talk to us during the session. And then we can have bills that we've worked on together by the end of June, and then we can start signing them right away. Speaker Hasty pushed back on that. He says collaboration is a two-way street. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. If you've driven around the North Country, you may have seen a Confederate flag or a sign falsely claiming that Donald Trump won the last presidential election. There are symbols of far-right beliefs all around the region. We've reported in the past on extremist groups that have tried recruiting here, including the Proud Boys and the KKK. Now we're launching an investigative podcast about far-right extremism in the North Country. The show is called If All Else Fails. All episodes will be out on January 15th, and you can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a preview of the podcast from reporters Zach Hirsch and Emily Russell. Yes, hello. Uh, I'll leave a message for Zach Hirsch. This is Sheriff Mike Carpinelli in Lewis County. I got your message, and uh, this is Mike. I was trying to reach Mike Carpinelli last year. He's a sheriff from upstate New York. We were working on a story about him. We'd emailed, and Carpinelli called us back the same day. And uh, we'll talk, and then I'll decide uh, uh, what we can do. Appreciate you reaching out to me. Thank you. Take care, Zach. Bye-bye. But that was the only time we'd ever hear from the sheriff. Carpinelli first grabbed our attention when he posted a photo of himself a year and a half ago. In that photo, he's holding up an award from the Oath Keepers, and he looks proud of it. The Oath Keepers are a far-right militia group. They played a key role in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. By the time Carpinelli posted that photo, the founder of the Oath Keepers had been arrested and charged with seditious conspiracy. Didn't seem like a great time for anyone to point out their ties to the Oath Keepers, let alone a county sheriff elected to uphold the law. But that photo got hundreds of comments, more than a thousand likes. All this got us thinking, what kind of ties do law enforcement have to far-right groups like the Oath Keepers? And who are all these people who like that connection? I'm Emily Russell. And I'm Zach Hirsch. That one photo of the sheriff and his Oath Keepers award kicked off a much broader investigation, one we've spent months working on. Far-right groups like the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys have ties to rural areas around the country. We looked at one place, here in upstate New York, and we found that all kinds of extremist groups have tried to recruit people here, from the infamous KKK to lesser-known groups like Patriot Front. We also found that there's a real anti-government movement in upstate New York, a movement that's inspired people to join militias. Get involved with your militias. I assure you, they will be needed if this tyranny continues. We take the military guys and former police officers, and we're not just some ragtag bunch of guys out there that don't know what we're doing. This is the kind of stuff that really worries experts and top security officials. There is not a county in the state that doesn't have a challenge with extremism. So this stuff is happening on a regular basis. You take somebody who might have a kind of suspicion of government, you say to them, like, hey, come join our group that has a solution for you, right? And some of those solutions are pretty violent. 
We wanted to know what's at stake when people join far-right groups or when they buy into conspiracy theories about the government or elections. Being in January 6th, there's a lot of people like me that we know the election was stolen. And what happens when people see themselves as the last line of defense against tyranny? The role of what I believe militia is today is to prepare for dark times. At some point, the system will fall. I believe in defending our country. If all else fails, if all else fails, then we know what we have to do. If All Else Fails, an investigative podcast from North Country Public Radio. You can listen to all the episodes starting on January 15th. Again, you can find that any place you get your podcast, subscribe now. If All Else Fails, that will be out January 15th. Keep up with reporting from the NCPR newsroom throughout the day at our website, ncpr.org. You can also follow the station on Facebook and Instagram. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up in just a minute, John Warren checks the trail conditions for us in the Adirondacks. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note. That's coming up at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. It's cold this morning. 15 degrees in Canton right now. And we had started out this morning with single digits uh, for much of the region. And highs today around 30. Cloudy skies. uh, Winds out of the west. Uh, Tonight, look for lows in the 20s overnight. And then tomorrow and Sunday, uh, cloudy skies, highs this weekend, probably upper 20s, low 30s in the afternoons, and winds out of the east 5 to 10 miles per hour. An 80% chance of snow. The Weather Service at this point calling it light snow on Sunday and Sunday night. And then clearing skies, uh, partly to mostly sunny on Monday of next week. Highs in the 30s. Could see a high near 50 by next Wednesday, according to the Weather Service. So, Clouds today and probably through the weekend, high around 30, winds out of the west. As I said a moment ago, it's 15 degrees here in Canton. Here with a look at trail conditions for the Adirondacks for the weekend is John Warren. On Saturday, sunrise will be at about 731 and sunset at about 433. There is no snow to speak of on the ground now, at least at lower elevations, but a coastal storm is expected to bring snow Saturday night into Sunday, especially across the southern Adirondacks. Some more snow is in the longer-range forecast as well. Keep an eye on the weather this weekend. The temperature is turning colder again, and trails are icy with snow deep in places at higher elevations and along the northwest slopes of the Adirondacks. Temperatures on high peak summits will remain in the teens through the weekend with wind chills near and below zero. Expect fresh snow on summits on top of as much as two feet there already in places. Carry snowshoes and traction devices, be prepared, and watch the weather closely. Rivers and streams remain mostly open with above normal levels for this time of year. Lake Champlain is near flood stage and the interior gate at Osable Point is closed due to flooding. You can still visit by using the day-use parking area. 
In general, at lower elevations, there is a lack of snow cover until we see what the weather brings. But the southern Adirondacks should be the best bet for skiing Sunday from the inlet trails to Lapland Lake and Garnet Hill for cross country or Gore, Macaulay, and Oak Mountains for downhill. Elsewhere, Cascade has some easier terrain open, though thin for now. Van Hovenberg will have some terrain open, and the Whiteface Highway is being skied. No other backcountry skiing can be recommended, at least until we see some snow. No snowmobile trails are open at the moment. If there's enough snow to ride in the southern Adirondacks after the storm, it will be thin. It's possible we could see some more snow, though, later this week. Those are the outdoor conditions in the Adirondacks this weekend. For North Country Public Radio, this is John Warren from the New York Almanac, online at newyorkalmanac.com. You're listening to Northern Light right here on NCPR. Just about 825. Good morning. I'm Monica Sandresky here with Todd Moe. We were thinking that we might want to enjoy some good vibe music as we head into the weekend. We've got some music from Annie in the Water. This upstate New York-based group is coming back through Saranac Lake in a few weeks. They've got a show at the Waterhole on February 2nd. This is their song, Honeybee. Going off in search of nature's sweetest thing. It puts me in a place where I am buzzing You put it together from nothing With loyalty on wings And sugar in the heart Matchmaker You bring the love together Making flowers start
Honeybee by Annie in the Water. They're coming to the water hole here in a few weeks uh, to Saranac Lake. You can catch them there Friday, February 2nd. So many events that are coming up uh, throughout the throughout the region, even though it maybe is a little bit of a slower time of year. Uh, coming up on the 13th, the Long Lake Winter Carnival. It's a full day of activities and games for all ages, including the coronation of the royalty, cardboard sled races, and their signature ladies frying pan toss. You can find out more from mylonglake.com slash events. That's coming up Saturday, January 13th, starting at noon. If you are a fan of high school uh, theater uh, and drama clubs, this is really cool. There's a world premiere play coming up at the end of the month at Ticonderoga High School, Times Square by Kyle Lang, who teaches uh, drama at the school. A world premiere. Uh, it takes place in the second most famous location bearing the name Times Square, the Adirondacks, set at a well-known 46er crossroads in the Santoni Range. So that's coming up. Put it on your calendar for January 26th and the 27th. Uh, uh, at 7 p.m. at Ticonderoga High School. And, Monica, the really cool thing is 46ers are going to get free. If you're a 46er, you get free admission to that play at Ticonderoga. Oh, those lucky <laughs> ducks. If only, yeah, if thanks. only. Thanks so much for letting us know about that. That is the end of the show for the day. Morning Edition continues in just a minute. Then stick around for the Marketplace Morning Report coming up between 8.51 and 9 o'clock where we'll get caught up on all the morning's business news. If you miss an episode episode of the show never fear you can always find it any place you get your podcasts and don't forget to while you're there to sign up for ncpr's newest investigative podcast if all else fails the episodes will be out january 15th i'm monica sandresky i'm todd moe be well